Amen. Thank you, Jason. Well, good morning, everyone. It is fantastic to see you all here again. Uh, and of course, good morning to those of you watching at home and welcome. What all of you in the building will not know is that our tech team led by Trevor have been running around behind the scenes uh, because our live stream didn't start up when the service started this morning. Uh, and so there were a few people hanging, waiting, and they've joined us now. So we're glad you made it. We're glad you're with us. Uh, of course, I'm kind of chuckling to myself because you're going to realize later on uh, that today we're talking about spiritual warfare. And uh, I sort of thought, well, isn't there a great sermon illustration straight away of how even technology fails us sometimes and, uh, uh, you know, Satan gets behind the scenes. In fact, that's my theme for today or my title for today, the reality behind the scenes. Uh, and I'm going to get into that in a moment. I can't believe that we are almost done with the book of Daniel. If you're visiting with us today, uh, we started Daniel a couple of weeks ago, and we've been journeying through this incredible book uh, as this prophet Daniel speaks into the nation of Judah and into the nation of Israel and brings these incredible prophecies, these incredible visions, and we try and make sense of them. And as we kind of work towards wrapping up, and today and next week finishing off in the last few chapters, uh, I've got to share with you, it's, it's really been some of the most enjoyable, but yet also some of the most challenging passages of Scripture to try and work through, to make sense of all of this. You know, the theme that we've had running throughout this series is this theme of God is in control. Uh, almost despite the circumstances, despite how things might look, God is in control. Daniel is a young, uh, young child of Israel in the, in the tribe of Judah, and he's brought into exile under Babylon or under Babylonian rule as Nebuchadnezzar brings all of the rulers and all the royal family and all these men of stature and brings them into his throne or into his court, sorry, and, and kind of rules over them. And of course, for a guy like Daniel, being this youngster, it would seem sort of, what's going on? You know, who's really in control? Yet over and over, Daniel shows us kingdoms come, kings rise, and kingdoms rise, and kingdoms fall. Yet ultimately, God remains in control. God remains on the throne, regardless of what's happening. And then last week, we read through Daniel chapter 9, or at least the first half of Daniel chapter 9. As Daniel now, at the end of his life, into his 80s, kind of reads through the prophecy of Jeremiah and realizes that, hey, we're about to be freed. Our exile is almost over. We're about to return to our kingdom, to our land. And so Daniel looks around and realizes we're in no place to actually go there. You know, we're spiritually lost. We, we're not worshiping Yahweh as we should. And so Daniel prays this incredible prayer of confession. And really, Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9 models this image of confession for all of us, even today, and how we need to occasionally confess on behalf of our people, behalf of our church, and behalf of our nation, or, or on that corporate level. And I love the feedback I got through the, the course of this week. Thank you to those of you who were, were so moved by that sermon, whether in a good way or in a bad way. Uh, I just loved engaging with the emails and engaging with the conversations around what that prayer spurred individuals to do. And if you missed that, I would encourage you to go and check out last week and have a look at Daniel chapter 9. 
You see, in Daniel 9, Daniel takes it upon himself to intercede on behalf of Judah, on behalf of the Israelites that are in captivity in Babylon. And Daniel is just one individual, yet the Lord hears his prayer. Daniel's prayer reminds us that God will indeed intervene on behalf of even one person's prayer. I was reminded as I was kind of preparing and going through that if you read through the great revivals of history, you know, I love reading through the revivals that take place every few years to every few centuries, and almost always they begin with one, two, or three people who understand the need for God to intervene and who simply fall on their knees and cry out in prayer. God responds when his people pray. God responds when his people, whether individuals or corporate, gather together and pray. And so as an aside, I want to encourage you, I want to invite you, join us over the next few weeks and months as we create places for us to gather together and to pray, to pray for revival, to pray that God would again move in our, king, in our society, move in our nation. You know, if we want to impact the world, that's part of our mission statement. We need to cry out to God and say, God, help us to do that. Now, of course, it, it might occasionally look like our, our nation, our, our nation is beyond help, that the country we're in just it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. It seems lost. But I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you from Daniel. When a few of us would get serious in prayer, I believe we will see the tide turn. Maybe not immediately but it will come. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say maybe not immediately, but it will come? Well, Daniel 9 through 12 answers this. And as I said last week, I'll say it today and I'll say it again next week, we're not going to read Daniel 9 to 12 in one go, but they kind of go together. And so today and again next week, I'm going to pick up just a couple of verses as we look at this theme, as we look at the message And so today I want to focus on, as my title implies, I want to focus on the reality behind the scenes. The reality behind the scenes. You know, last week as we read the context of Daniel's prayer, uh, Daniel was reading through the prophet Jeremiah. And it's as Daniel's reading through Jeremiah that Daniel realizes, wait a minute, our captivity is coming to an end. Our people are about to be returned to their nation. But Daniel knows they're not ready for that, so Daniel prays. And why did he pray? Well, because he read the following in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 25 and 29, but in Jeremiah 25, just a couple of verses, says, Therefore the Lord Almighty says this, Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. This whole country will be a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. So this is the beginning of the prophecy. Daniel understands, yes, we're in exile because we've rebelled against God. We've sinned against God. We've not kept his laws. We've not kept his decrees. And Jeremiah prophesied about that, and we're living in the middle of this. But Daniel's aware that this is a 70-year prophecy. Daniel knows, based on Jeremiah, it's coming to an end, and that God had made this incredible promise 
Many of you know this promise. Many of you quote this promise. Uh, Some of you probably have it on a bookmark in your Bible. Jeremiah 29, verse 10 and 11. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And I could get sidetracked over here preaching another sermon around how this is not a life verse. This isn't one of those kind of promises that God just wants me healthy and wealthy and happy and comfortable and all those things. No, no, no. This is God speaking to his people. And this is God saying, at the end of that allotted time, I will restore you. Because I have a plan for you as my people. It is a promise to the people of God. And so Daniel reads this promise. Daniel understands this promise. And he begins praying at that very moment. We could debate, really, why wasn't Daniel praying right at the beginning of the exile? Now, I have no doubt Daniel was praying at the beginning of the exile. But I don't think Daniel was praying for release. Because Daniel understood. Daniel knew that God was doing what God needed to do. In fact, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 16, God says, Do not pray for this people, nor offer any plea or petition for them. Do not plead with me, for I will not listen to you. That's not a verse we often preach about. Is God saying to his people, saying to them, don't pray. I've already decreed this is what's happening. So Daniel doesn't. Daniel doesn't pray before this allotted time. Daniel understands. But now at the end of those 70 years, Daniel begins to realize, wait a minute, God is about to do what God promised he would do. And so I'm going to pray for my people. I'm going to repent on behalf of my people. I'm going to confess on behalf of my people. And I'm going to press into God based on his word and based on his promises. In fact, Daniel doesn't only pray. Daniel fasts as he prays. Jesus tells us this is a powerful combination. You and I need to learn to get into that place of being willing to fast and to pray for our nation, to fast and to pray for the world around us, that they too would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so we read Daniel's prayer. But after Daniel's prayer, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It won't be up on the screen this morning. Uh, So I would encourage you to grab your Bible. We're just going to look at a couple of verses there. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20 to 23. Daniel says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. What I want to note over there is how Gabriel says, as soon as you began to pray, 
And that should encourage us. That's powerful. Daniel was standing on God's promises. And as soon as he began, as soon as he asked the Lord to uphold that promise, that prayer ascends into the very throne room of God. And that it, at that exact moment, his prayer is received and God acts on behalf of Israel. Israel's deliverance was set in motion. Now, I kind of jump a couple of thousand years later and I sort of say, well, if I'm reading this and I, I have the pages of Scripture, what am I to stand on? You know, in Daniel's time, people looked to the words of the prophets. We read that in Amos, in Amos 3 verse 7. Uh, we read, surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants and his prophets. And so all through the Old Testament, the nation of God would hold on to the words of the prophets. And we read in Scripture, we read in the New Testament, one of the gifts of the Spirit is the gift of prophecy, whereby men and women bring a word of the Lord to the people of God. And I'm so looking forward to the fall, because in the fall we're preaching through. We've got a series on the Holy Spirit coming. And we're going to look at some of these spiritual gifts and kind of see where they fit in for the church today. Because prophecy and a word of the Lord is still at work. And of course, for those of you who, who might think I'm about to say something I'm not going to say, all prophecy is tested by the word of God. All prophecy comes back to the authority of the word of God. If it doesn't conform to the word of God, well, then it's not prophecy and then we abandon it. But yet, the word of God contains prophecy. It is the word of God to the people of God. But prophecy isn't the only thing the Word has. Scripture also has the promises of God. And so Daniel understands both the prophecies and the promises of God, and he brings those into his prayer. You might go, well, give me an example. Where is a promise that Daniel might have understood? Well, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, again, a verse we know so well. God speaks to his people. God knows what's going to come. God understands that his people will rebel, that his people will face judgment, that his children will need to be disciplined. God understands this. And so God says to his people in 2 Chronicles verse, chapter 7, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And just in, those, in that one verse, there are three promises already. God promises he will hear our prayers. God promises he will forgive our sin, and God promises he will heal our nation. But the, these promises are conditional. There's a condition to this. It begins at the, right in the opening, if my people... And there's the sense that we have to get busy before we expect God to move. There is something we have to do. We as the people of God need to learn to humble ourselves. We need to learn to pray. We need to learn to seek his face. We need to repent and turn from our sin. And when we do that, that's when we can be hopeful to see God move and his promises fulfilled. And what God said to the nation of Israel, to his children in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, God still says to us today, the Lord wants our sin blotted out. 
The Lord wants to forgive us. The Lord wants us to experience his presence and peace. Yet here we are, in a world caught in the middle of spiritual captivity, under siege by demonic strongholds, held hostage. But I believe if we will lift up our prayer of intercession on behalf of the nation around us, the Lord will hear our prayers. And not only that, he will act and send out a command, and the chains will be broken. Amen? But let me ask this. What happens when we stand on God's promise, knowing that he sent out the command, knowing that his word says this, but there's an unexplainable delay in our prayer? Because let's be honest, it feels like that, doesn't it? I could probably sit with every one of you and those of you at home. I could sit down and say, hey, what, have, what are you praying for? What have you been praying for? And you, you might say, well, I've been praying for a, a family member that doesn't know the Lord, and I've been praying for years and years, and, and the Scripture says that God desires that none should perish, that we should all know. I've been praying according to God's Word for years, but there's just, it seems to be delayed. Why is that? because there's a reality behind the scenes that we need to remember. And we begin to understand this as we start to go into Daniel chapter 10. If you have your Bibles open, hopefully still open, turn to Daniel 10. From verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until three weeks were over. So here we see Daniel still in Babylon three years after his initial intercession. However, God's promise has already started to be set into motion and started to come true. The commentator Warren Wiersbe says that just a year before this event, just a year before, 50,000 Jews had left Babylon and traveled to their native land to rebuild the temple. So why is Daniel in mourning? Well, since Daniel had access to official files and reports, he had no doubt heard that the remnant had arrived safely in Jerusalem and that all of the tabernacle treasures were intact. He would have heard that the men had laid the foundation of the temple, but that the work had been stopped. And we read this in Ezra chapter 4. Daniel knew that his people were suffering hardship in the ruined city of Jerusalem. And Daniel wonders if, if God is going to fulfill. Has God failed to fulfill the promise he made to Jeremiah? And so he mourns. And he questions of this delay in the midst of his prayer. Well, the answer for the delay is given to us. A few verses down in Daniel chapter 10, picking up from Daniel chapter 10 and verse 10, we read, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider, the words, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. And then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. 
Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. And then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. And so we read here in verse 10 that while Daniel is praying, in the midst of this praying and fasting, a hand touches him. And this person, if, if we can use that word, begins to comfort Daniel and delivers a message. And if you want to read a depiction of this one that, that touched Daniel, that spoke to Daniel, we find that in the preceding verses. And the description is very similar to that of Jesus seen in Revelation chapter 1, which begs the question, well, is this Jesus that has come to Daniel to encourage him, to answer him, and to speak to him? And we might well ask that question, and, and in a sense, we might say, it could be. Because after all, at the beginning of Daniel, when Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are thrown into the fire, we read of a fourth person in the fire with them. And Nebuchadnezzar cries out, I see a fourth in the, the fire with them, one who looks like a son of the gods. Some translations say one who looks like a son of man. And so for many commentators, when we read through this, we kind of go, well, maybe it is Jesus. Because the imagery is so similar. And there are encounters through the Old Testament that can only be fully comprehended when we identify the character as being one of the Trinity. So is it Jesus? Well, there are other commentators who suggest that it's not Jesus. And part of why they say it can't be Jesus is because of this delay. Surely, if the Old Testament says nothing is too difficult for the Lord, if God's arm is not too short, surely there could be nothing that could delay God. There is nothing that could delay Jesus from moving. And so the commentators debate that. And I'm not going to tell you what you should think. You need to read and pray about that. But it doesn't change the story. No, it doesn't. God sends a servant whether it is his son Jesus or it is an angel, God sends his servants in response to Daniel's prayer. And even though there is a delay, Daniel's prayer will ultimately be fulfilled. And Daniel hears the words. And the servant encourages Daniel and he says to Daniel, since the day you started praying, God heard your words and God responded. And so there's this delay, but God is at work. And of course, we now go, well, what is this delay? This captures our imagination. Who is this prince of Persia? What's going on here? Well, ultimately, there is a delay because there is a spiritual war raging. There is a spiritual realm. There is a reality behind the scenes of what you and I can see with our human eyes. There is a reality and there is a war raging. And it wages on and on. And the armies of God are fighting against the enemies of God. And the servant of God, this servant of God was tied up, fighting the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Of course, when Daniel began his prayer three years earlier... The actual physical prince of Persia was King Darius, 
That's in chapter 9. And here in chapter 10, the actual physical prince or king of Persia is Cyrus. <laughs> but this servant of God isn't interested in this earthly realm in a sense. The servant of God is saying there is a physical, there is a spiritual realm and a war is raging. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Paul speaks about this. Paul says to us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I know there are some who might hear this message, and they go, come on, do you really believe that? Do you really think there are these angels and demons at war? Do you really think there's a spiritual realm? Yes! Because that realm is far more real than this temporal earthly realm we find ourselves in. There is a reality behind the scenes. And there is a war that is raging. And so this servant of God speaks to Daniel. And in the midst of this delay, in the midst of this battle, uh, the archangel Michael comes and, and helps in the battle so that this servant can leave Michael and his angels to fight against these demons and evil spirits so that he can come to Daniel. And Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And when we read through Daniel chapter 9, 10, and 11, and 12, which we'll tackle next week, you and I can quite easily get hung up on, well, who are these kings? What's the chronology of this? What's, who's been spoken of? Which earthly empires are we dealing with? And as Daniel catches these visions of the end times, well, when do the end times come? And we get so hung up on dates and faces and names and places that we lose sight of what's taking place behind the scenes. When Daniel over here, I think, would simply say to us, we're supposed to be on our knees. We're supposed to be praying in response to what is taking place. Praying for a removal of the spiritual forces at work against us. What demons continue to wage war against you and I today? What about things like materialism and consumerism, where the world tells us we should be pursuing more and more? It's all about accumulating. It's all about getting more. Whereas God says to us, we should be content with what we have. And if we discover ourselves blessed and we receive more and more, we should be sharing. We should be loving and caring for others. What about something like individualism? Uh, you know, we kind of live in such a distorted worldview. We think it's all about us. Uh, we, we need to be independent. We shouldn't depend on anyone. And so the world held, holds this up as something to be esteemed. It's all about me, and I make it all about me. I'm the hero in the story. Yet Scripture says it's all about God. It's what Jesus is doing throughout history. You know, in two weeks' time, on Sunday, the 4th of July, we're starting a new series, which I cannot wait to dive into. And that series is simply titled, Small Part, Big Story. Small Part, Big Story, to remind us that God has this incredibly huge story of redemption. God is at work in the world. 
God is doing something incredible. His is the big story, and he invites you and I to play a small part within that. And that goes contrary to the world and the demonic forces. What about things like relativism? Where, where we're told truth is relative and, and truth is decided by you and we hear such terms as your truth versus my truth. When the Bible reminds us Jesus Christ is the truth, how do we combat those spiritual forces at work? We combat by falling on our knees and praying that God would open the blind eyes around us that those who do not see would see. I could probably spend an hour talking about all sorts of isms, those things that are contrary to Scripture and contrary to the will of God, those demons that continue to wage war against us. So how do I land this plane? How do I close off this morning? Well, you and I have a role to play in this reality behind the scenes. You and I have a role and a part to play in this spiritual battle that wages. You know, the Apostle Paul speaks and writes about this in Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God, ready for the spiritual battle. And Paul mentions all the specific pieces of armor and their spiritual function, and Paul talks about this powerful weapon, which is the sword of the Spirit, or the Word of God. But Paul gives us another offensive weapon, and it is prayer. And Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. If we want to see Jesus Christ, if we want to see the servants of God do battle in the heavens and overcome, which we know they will do, then you and I are called to be, in a sense, that ground support through fervent, persevering prayer, falling on our knees. And I know that for some of you, you've been praying for weeks or months or even years for someone or some circumstance. I think Daniel would encourage us, don't give up. Keep on praying. For there is a spiritual battle taking place, and the spiritual battle might be what's causing the delay Therefore, do not give up. Keep on praying. Of course, you might kind of go, well, what should I be praying for in terms of of what I I, I want or or what I think I I need? The Bible makes it very clear. The greatest battle of all is the battle for our souls. Satan is seeking to drag as many as he can into hell before his time is up. Satan is the accuser, the destroyer. Satan comes to steal and to kill. Satan won't settle and rest until he has destroyed as many as he can. And so through our prayers, we pray that God will be victorious over the souls of others. We pray that Psalm 55 verse 16 would become a reality where people will say, I call upon God and he will save me. We pray that people would echo Paul's words in Romans 10 verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that the Lord is the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There is a reality behind the scenes 
beyond anything we could probably comprehend or fathom. And the way we, we move in that realm is we fall to our knees and we cry out in prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, as we read through this incredible prophecy and this vision and this experience that Daniel has, this experience that leaves him mourning, that leaves him heartbroken, that leaves him almost weeping, God, we thank you for that. Because it becomes a word to us and a challenge to us. Lord, we know that the spiritual realm is true and real. We know that Satan does not sleep or rest. He prowls around like a hungry lion looking for those whom he can devour. Oh God, we look at the world around us. We look at our very nation. We see people dragged into darkness. The scripture speaks about people being lost in what we call isms of all sorts, in desperate need of truth and life and salvation that is found only in Jesus Christ. And so, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move us to do what Daniel did, to fall to our knees and to pray, to intercede, to plead with you. We know, God, that you are good and you are gracious. We know that your desire is that none would perish. We know that because you came to earth and took on flesh, that, Jesus, you walked among your creation. And then, Jesus, that you went to the cross. You gave your life so that we might receive life. You paid the price that we could not pay. You got what we deserve so that we would receive what we do not deserve. And so, Jesus, with that, we pray for those around us who have not yet declared Jesus as Lord, believing that he has risen from the dead. Oh, God, would you move in White Rock Baptist Church and the churches of White Rock and South Surrey, bring revival to this place, bring revival to this city, bring revival to this nation, so that we might see you at work and give you praise and glory. Jesus, we pray these things in your name. And together as your people we say, amen.
Amen. Our service has come to an end this morning as you go out into the glorious sunshine outside. I trust that you will have a blessed day, whatever that entails and whatever you're planning on doing today. Uh, as you go out, for those in the building, just a reminder that under COVID rules, we can't really gather together as much as we desperately want to. Uh, and so I would encourage you to be mindful of that. And as you go outside and chat and connect, just kind of keep that in mind as well. As you go out, may the Lord bless you. And may he open your eyes to what's really taking place around you. And as you become aware of that reality, may you find yourself on your knees. Not in weakness, but in strength that comes from the Lord. The Lord bless you, and God willing, we will see you again next week. Thank you.